1: Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. and You can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have... Terrific guest for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be ta- asking the question or providing some information about has the Supreme Court of the United States subverted the Constitution since the New Deal? And uh, certainly, there's clear evidence of that. We'll talk about why. Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author Josephus Avaz will be joining us as well, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. So it's uh, March the 25th, and on this day in 1957, France, West Germany, Italy, and the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg signed a treaty in Rome establishing the European Economic Community, also known as the Common Market. The EEC, which came into operation in January 1958, was a major step in Europe's movement towards economic And political union. By 1950, it was apparent that the centuries of Western Europe world supremacy was coming to an end. The national markets of Europe, isolated from each other by archaic trade laws, were no match for the giant market enjoyed by the United States, and looming over Europe was, of course, the Soviet Union, whose communist leaders commanded vast territory and economic resources under a single system. Many European leaders also feared the resumption of a conflict between traditional European antagonists such as France and Germany. Germany, who would only diminish the European economies further. As a means of further improving Europe's economic climate and preventing war, some influential statesmen and political theorists suggested economic integration. The first major step in this direction was taken in 1951, when France and West Germany formed the European Coal and Steel Community, integrated their coal and steel industries. Uh, French uh, leaders proposed the organization primarily... uh, as a means of monitoring German industry, and Western leaders immediately agreed to ally fears of German militarization. To supervise this organization, several supernatural bodies were established, uh, including the executive authority, a council of ministers, an advisory assembly, and a court of justice to, uh, to settle disputes. Italy and three nations of uh, joint Belgium and Netherlands and Luxembourg soon uh, joined the groundwork for this as well. In any event, uh, the major story here is, of course, that the European Union was formed. Then, as usual, when you have a big committee, uh, they formed their own currency and uh, integrated their economies in all but uh, critical ways. And it's created quite a strain, for, for example, the southern European countries such as Italy and Spain. <clears throat> and, of course, we have uh, Brexit as well. So, that all happening on this day. What was it, 1951, I believe it was? Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average soared yesterday, its biggest one-day percentage gain since 1933 after lawmakers said they were close to a deal for an economic rescue package in response to the coronavirus outbreak, injecting optimism following the biggest sell-off since the financial crisis. All three main U.S. stock indices uh, rebounded strongly from Monday's brutal sell-off as the coronavirus outbreak forced entire nations to shut down. Senior Democrats and Republicans said they were close to a deal of $2 trillion stimulus package aimed at providing financial aid to Americans out of work and for help to distressed industries and companies. The expected legislation adds to aggressive action announced by the Federal Reserve in recent days, including purchase of corporate bonds and announcing the U.S. Central Bank will make direct loans to companies. Investors were also pleased after President Trump said on Monday he was considering how to restart part of the business life When a 15-day shutdown ends next week, even as the highly contagious virus spreads, rapidly and poorly equipped hospitals struggle with a wave of deadly viruses and and cases. The severity of the spread of COVID-19 and expectations of uh, aggressive stimulus measures have whipsawed financial markets and ended Wall Street's 11-year bull market run. Boeing powered the Dow's gains, jumping nearly 21% after the CEO said that the plane maker expected 737 MAX jets to return to service by mid year. Its shares had lost nearly two thirds of their value so far in 2020. Data on Monday showed that U.S. business activity hit a record low in March, bolstering expert views that the economy was already in a recession. Uh, Traders were weighing the uncertainty of the path of the coronavirus outbreak. The Dow went up 2,112 points. Its biggest gain in history, or 11.4%, to 20,704. Futures were up earlier this morning, but uh, now they're down about, well, now they're coming back to to even. So a lot of volatility in the market right now. If you're a... Quarter call trader, if you deal in options, uh, you can make a lot of money or you could get creamed in this kind of market because (laughs) it's very difficult to determine uh, which way the market's going to go. Anyhow, President Trump and uh, Congress reached a deal on the terms of a $2 trillion emergency relief bill to address the economic impact of the ongoing uh, coronavirus outbreak. That apparently happened early this morning. Lawmakers and the Trump administration reached an agreement on nearly $2 trillion, of a coronavirus emergency rescue a package, a move intended to assist businesses and millions of Americans, and an unprecedented halt in the economy. The announcement caps five days of tense negotiations between senators and the White House. Both the Senate and the House still need to approve the bill before sending it to President Donald Trump for a signature. The president has sounded an optimistic tone in his briefing for reporters at the White House on Tuesday evening. Though Republicans have been scathing In their criticism of Democrats for blocking Senate passage of a relief bill that has been agreed upon by the two parties on Sunday... Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has introduced her own version of a relief bill on Monday afternoon loaded with pork, as we talked about yesterday, for Democrats' special interests and with demands to restructure the voting system to suit the party's preferences. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer described the terms of the new deal as including unemployment compensation on steroids that would reimburse laid-off workers for their lost salaries and guarantee furloughed workers their full benefits so that businesses could reopen. When the coronavirus uh, crisis was over, there was also provisions for uh, supporting small businesses and for special inspector general to oversee the administration of funds. A vote uh, must be taken in both houses before the president can sign the legislation. The Senate will reconvene at twelve o'clock today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, of course, was up uh, up yesterday, and we'll see what it does today. Uh, The president said, by the way, he he plans, he wants, he's looking at Easter. He'd like to have the The economy up and running by Easter Sunday says it'd be a significant day for more than one reason. Well, he's calling for uh, Republicans and Democrats to unite behind his American independence agenda to defeat the spread of Chinese uh, coronavirus. During a press conference yesterday, Trump detailed the critical need for American independence in the manufacturing, energy, and uh, territorially all the nation's borders to stop the coronavirus uh, crisis. We should never be reliant on a foreign country for the means of our own survival. I think we've learned a lot. This crisis has underscored just how critical it is to have strong borders and a robust manufacturing sector. For three years, we've embarked on a great national project to secure our immigration system and bring back manufacturing jobs. We've brought back many jobs, record numbers of jobs, and and this really shows, this experience shows how important borders are, he said. Without borders, you just don't have a nation, he said. So Trumpoff said his agenda for fighting the coronavirus and lifting the United States out of the state of globalist dependency includes manufacturing pharmaceuticals and essential supplies and equipment in America made by American workers. Our goal for the future must be to have American medicine for American patients and American supplies for American hospitals and American equipment for our great American heroes, he said. Both parties must unite to ensure America is truly an independent nation in every sense of the word, said the president. Well, he's providing great leadership, in my view. I, you know, He's asked, well, are you going to follow the guidance of doctors? Uh, and he said, of course, well, I'm going to listen to him, but I'm going to be making the decision. It's my job, he made clear, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, to decide when we should uh, lift the sanctions, allow people to go back to uh, work uh, and uh he said we're going to take some risks and i just totally agree with that america will never be a supplicant nation we will be a proud prosperous and self-reliant nation we will embrace commerce with all but and we'll be dependent on none above all we know the best thing for our country in the world right now is very very powerful victory over this virus he said Uh, President Trump, of course, speaking on on immigration, he invoked a federal statute close to the U.S.-Mexico and U.S.-Canada borders to foreign migrants to stop the spread of uh, coronavirus. He also implemented travel bans on China, Iran, and Europe to prevent travel-related infections in the United States. Meanwhile, Trump's administration has worked closely with private industry to ramp up domestic production of necessary supplies and equipment, including one deal with 3M to produce 35 million respirator masks a month. At its South Dakota manufacturing plant, even um, My Pillow has agreed to start producing masks uh, and uh, stop the production of pillows. So everybody's jumping in. It's a volunteer deal, and I'm so glad the president has shut down the hasn't shut down the, the economy and centralized uh, used centralized planning and orders in order to get this done. Shows a great cooperative spirit in America. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Naples Illustrated bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the '60s, complete with great music and a fabulous '60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lullaby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulfshore Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, uh, productions have been canceled until the next season, but uh, still there's a lot of great information on the website. You can find out about edu- education programs. Just visit org. By the way, uh, B's girl, uh, uh, uh as Lullabies is uh, right now closed, you heard a commercial about Lullabies, and uh, we're going to continue to run the commercials. They're a great organization, and uh, we're going to just do that at no charge whatsoever to her because uh, she does such great things for the community. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, as I mentioned before the break. Uh, he is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you, Bob. I, I am having a bit of trouble hearing you. So I'm, I I'm so you so
1: sorry. Problem. Is that a little bit better? Um,
2: not much. Not much
1: better. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to. Sp- I'll try and speak up, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can
2: I can make out what you're saying. It's just a struggle.
1: Okay. So, Bob, uh, we've been talking. Well, first of all, tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank. Uh, ordinarily, our building is open in Washington, D.C. Of course, everybody's operating remotely now, and we're devoted to securing individual liberty, property rights, free markets, and limited government, CATO.org on the web. And I think uh, we've, we've just posted uh, quite an elaborate uh, program uh, that we recommend for dealing with uh, COVID-19, so I encourage everybody to take a look.
1: Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. So, Bob, we've been raising the question and providing information about whether the uh, Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution since the New Deal. Certainly a lot of decisions made. And uh, before, we were talking about the commerce power. And let's pick up with uh, the Robert's opinion about Obamacare and the Obamacare case. How do you explain the opinion that he came up with that, that it, uh, really is based on the taxing power?
2: Yeah, it came as a complete surprise to everybody. I mean, there were, from the beginning, these two key questions, uh, whether Obamacare would survive and whether there was any remaining limits to uh, federal power. And uh, legal scholars across the ideological spectrum expected one of two outcomes. Uh, either Obamacare would be upheld, and that would be a harbinger of sort of unbounded uh, federal power under the Commerce course, or... Obamacare would be invalidated because the court finally had reined in federal authority. And what we got instead is what nobody anticipated. You know, Roberts saved Obamacare using the taxing power, not the Commerce Clause. And in the process, he established some significant limits on the exercise of the Commerce Clause. So, you know, the opinion was sort of a masterpiece of political compromise. Um, it gave something to everybody, and it suggested that Roberts was intent on consensus-building um, and ensuring that the court uh, wasn't perceived as overtly political or ideological. And, uh, you know, ordinarily those motives aren't bad, except in this case they led to a legal analysis that, in my opinion, um, has approved an unconstitutional law, namely the Affordable Care Act.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, one of his comments at the end of it, he basically said, hey, you elected the <laughs> you elected this guy, you got to live with it. Yeah. Something to that effect. So on balance, was Robert's opinion net plus or net minus when it comes to the Constitution?
2: Well, um, the challenge uh, to Obamacare uh, was about our really fundamental first principles. Um, you know, we limit government power so people can live the way they want to. Uh, so, it wasn't just an academic exercise to map uh, the precise contours of the Commerce Clause and the taxing power. Uh, it, it, that's, that would be a worthy uh, goal, you know, but it, it, that's just a means uh, to achieve uh, the goal of maximizing human freedom, and that's why, that's why supposedly we allow government to exist, and that's why the opinion, in, in my uh, view, Juleful, though it was, ultimately was a complete failure, Mm -hmm. because once again, uh, the court found a way to expand the reach of the government uh, at the expense of individual liberty, and that uh, was uh, unfortunate.
1: Yeah, moving to current times, I mean, are are you concerned as I am about the reach, uh, government reach at this point, with all martial law and all the things that are going on? I mean, I'm certainly hopeful that uh, we can get back to the Constitution after this is all done.
2: I'm absolutely concerned about it, not just on a tactical level, but also on a constitutional level. Yeah. Particularly when I hear such things as uh, as uh, d- detention, you know, without any due process uh, whatsoever, and all the variants of uh, surveillance that's being put in place. Yeah, uh, those things are very concerning, and of course, uh, in my view, uh, contrary to the dictates of the Constitution. Uh, then there's this overreach of executive power and. F- federal power generally, but particularly executive power, which we always experience when we're in some sort of an emergency, and that's because emergencies raise a whole different set of rules, and we have to give the government some leeway to address things that no one contemplated. But they always, in Rahm Emanuel's uh, uh, words, uh, use that crisis uh, to expand uh, government's reach and what they put in place tends to be permanent, and that's uh, that's really the problem.
1: That is indeed. So uh, let's move to uh, the exercise of legislative power by administrative agencies, or what we've called alphabet agencies—unelected officials uh, making big decisions for Americans. Numerous laws control what Americans can, can and can't do, but some of those laws were never passed by a Congress. Instead, they're imposed by these administrative agencies, such as the EPA. Doesn't the Constitution require that all federal laws be enacted by Congress?
2: Yeah, they are. The first sentence of the Constitution after the preamble says all legislative powers vested in Congress. Um, it says that because the framers were smart guys, and they knew if uh, Congress passes an oppressive law, at least the voters can respond uh, by electing new officials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, suppose they pass a law, Congress passes a law that it's murky and nobody knows what it means, or in the case of Obamacare, very few people, if any, bother to read over. Uh, And then the president instructs one of these uh, 320 uh, regulatory agencies in Washington, D.C. to fill in the details. Well, when that happens, the voters don't have any recourse because the agencies and cabinet departments are run by unelected bureaucrats, and they're not responsive uh, to the political process. You know, the, the important point here is that Congress's powers... Uh, are not inherent. they're delegated to Congress by mm-hmm. the people uh, using the Constitution. And accordingly, Congress can't turn around and redelegate those powers unless the people, again, through the Constitution, uh, say that that's that's okay. and And from a constitutional perspective, it's not just which powers are ultimately adopted, but also uh, the fact that Congress and not an executive or administrative agency, supplies uh, the laws, uh, and Congress needs technical assistance. It has its own staff. It has universities, uh, professional associations. It has think tanks like the Cato Institute. And naturally, it can turn to the uh, agencies that are responsible for implementing the law. But it, I think that Congress itself should have to review these recommendations and sign on mm-hmm. uh, before they become a law. At least Congress needs a consensus. You wonder, who are the 535 legislators, that an administrative agency uh, has to convince. We, we don't know that uh, opposing views are adequately aired. We don't we don't have a record of the agency's deliberations. We don't know what factors they considered and what they rejected. And, and most of all, what fact are the voters going to do and the taxpayers if the agency gets it wrong? Right. Um, and, and, of course, these agencies have legislative power because they pass laws, they also have executive power because they enforce laws, and they also have judicial power because they have their own administrative law judges. And if there's any single principle that we know uh, that's central to our constitutional structure... It is the separation of powers between these three branches, and yet these agencies combine them all in one one branch.
1: Yeah, I'll go further. They also have political power because they've become politicized. We saw what happened with the IRS and with the EPA and other organizations. Absolutely. So uh, it's just very scary stuff. Uh, Before I let you go, what what do you think has been the practical effect of regulatory overreach during the Obama administration?
2: Well, you know, we we had uh, a Republican House that wouldn't advance the Obama agenda, thank goodness. Uh, and under those circumstances, uh, we had uh, the alphabet agencies operating overtime. And of course, that's now repeated itself in reverse mm-hmm. under the, uh, the Trump administration. We have a Democratic uh, uh, House that's unwilling to advance the uh, Trump uh, agenda. So we have you know, Department of Health and Human Services uh, that are regulating health care. We have this uh, Elizabeth Warren creation, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, making a lot of mischief under the Dodd-Frank Act. We have the EPA setting uh, global warming standards. And, you know, to grasp the scope of the problem, uh, these federal agencies now dwarf Congress when it comes to making rules that can control Uh, what we can and can't do. There's a volume called the Code of Federal Regulations that compiles all these agency rules. It's now more than 200 bound volumes, about six times as large as the U.S. Code, which contains all the laws passed by Congress.
1: Unbelievable. That is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. I mean, uh, I read the... uh the book by uh, uh, it's called the uh, Prosecuting Machine or Prosecutor's Machine. In any event, uh, apparently each human being, uh, with all the regulations we have, uh, commits a felony three times a day on average. Was the <laughs> <Yeah. claim. laughs> That's unbelievable. Bob Levy, again the chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the very robust website for COVID COVID nineteen and other information. You go to. Uh, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always a pleasure to get your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great being with you. Stay healthy. You as well. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit uh, with Andrew Jop a professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: back to the Bob Harden show and now here's your host Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website vfga.org. I hope you visit vfga uh, dot org coming up we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa he's professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz Andy thank you so much for joining us
3: good morning Bob let me just mention that communication is not as solid as, uh, as it normally is so uh, just keep that in mind as we talk
1: okay so in other words you're having difficulty hearing me
3: uh, somewhat, but it, it it's fine right now.
1: Okay, good. So, uh, Andy, uh, well, just uh, on a general sense, how are you handling the shutdown, and what's going on with the coronavirus?
3: Well, I'm self quarantining. Of course, I've been self quarantining for almost ten years, so it doesn't change much. <laughs> uh, for, you, for your for your listeners, let me let me just illustrate it, the impact this this uh, process, the entire uh, COVID nineteen process, has on individual lives. In my son's case. My son's company controls the vast majority of public transportation in the United States. Um, my son is a lawyer he can uh, he has a team of fourteen lawyers working for him. He controls the northeast now part of that package, perhaps the major part is the school buses so you can imagine they're they're contractually committed to x number of work weeks, of course, with the schools being shut down. All of the contractual work has to be shifted. So, uh, my son's job, which is uh, normally incredibly uh, difficult, uh, has become uh, amplified by uh, by a thousand percent. So, uh, that's just one illustration of what many Americans are going through. In my own case, I'm teaching online international management and international marketing. And I'm getting questions from my students. Um, you know, what does all this mean in terms of those areas, international management and marketing? Bob, between you and I, and I hope this doesn't go out further than that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea of the implication as it will impact on the, the normalcy that's presented in textbooks for these two areas. So uh, we're in an area of dramatic transition uh, at this point. I, I'm trying my best to uh, compute how that will work out. Uh, but I can honestly say that with the uh, with the supply chains are being challenged, particularly those from from China, and an additional uh, uh, there's there's problems, of course, with quality control from India. Uh, I'm not sure how this is all going to play out in those two areas. So, uh, from my own life, and in this case, my son's life, uh, I think your listeners can hear how how this has immediate impact on so many lives that uh... it's hard to even calculate the uh... the implication of it yeah. Right right now president trump wants to open uh... wants to open up our our whole cultural and and social system uh, he's taking a risk by doing that and he knows that uh... but he also knows that uh... if the economy is allowed mm-hmm. to stagnate any any further than it is that the the chances of recovery or the uh... The, the the level of recovery will be will be compromised so Uh, He's he's doing that. He knows that this is going to create uh, pressure on him because there will probably be an amplification of COVID-19 cases as a result. Mm -hmm. But he also recognizes that there are larger issues uh, at stake here, and that includes the uh, the very basic nature of our economy. All too many Americans, when they hear economy, they're thinking only of Wall Street and finance and, and money. Uh, the economy means food supplies. It means the uh, the availability of jobs to work, to pay for the uh, for the life sh- life systems of of millions and tens of millions of, of Americans. So um, this is what we're looking at. Trump, I think, is 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 courageously trying to to penetrate that to restore some semblance of normalcy. Uh, at the same time, of course, there there's so many indicators coming out of the administration that. Uh, are contradictory in terms of what Trump is trying to do. Just as an example, Bob, uh, Mark Esper, U.S. Defense Secretary, uh, said that this uh, will, he will get through it in a matter of months, uh, the Pentagon in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Miley, said this will last till July. Steve Mnuchin said this is going to last 10 to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So here we have the president trying to uh, accelerate our. Are are moving back into a functioning economic system, whereas these comments are coming out of his own administration that seem to project a uh, a very extended period of of implication and impact. Uh, even uh, Fucci, his major medical advisor, uh, also uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, uh, are saying that the impact will last 45 days to a few months. So. Yep. Um, what we're seeing is uh, a dramatic impact on individual lives, as I pointed out, and also the president trying his best to uh, extricate us—not uh, not exclusively from the disease itself, but there are larger, larger issues that that must be considered uh, for the nature of this of this culture, our society, and its long term future. Body. No, I couldn't agree more. I know that's a long sentence, but. Um, I think it says
1: pretty much what I want to say yeah no and I agree with it hundred percent just a couple of observations to uh, pile on here first of all we're in a service economy down here right we uh, depend so much on tourism and uh, all the is you know, the the, the uh, businesses that serve that area and uh, you know frankly it's all shut down right now and it's having an impact on restaurants on uh, on everybody so uh, it's critical the president I think is doing a great job two, two observations, number one while uh, right now he power has become very centralized because he's the chief executive officer through this and through this uh, crisis, but he's pushing power down as far as he can in the food chain in order to help people make the best decisions with the resources that the government is providing and Number one and number two, I think he's balancing uh economic as well as uh, personal health. You know, public health for uh, for us, and uh, he's trying to guide us through the process of getting back to work. Number one, and number two, staying healthy.
3: There, there's, there's no doubt, and I think you would probably agree that he's he's taking a political risk by doing this. Yeah, of I, course, I think he knows that. Yeah. and and yet this man is courageous. He's committed to America and Americans, of course, and I, and I think that this is. Something that must happen. I I just uh, published a uh, a blog yesterday, about Called proportionality. I start out with a description of the Black Plague, the Black Death in in Europe, uh, particularly in England, from 1348 to 1349. Now, this is not the bubonic plague. It's not even remotely resembling that uh, that horrid disease. Uh, in London, for example, they estimate that at least half of the population uh, died, perhaps as as many as two thirds. Yet. As they came out of this, at the end of 1349, England was still intact. It was it was whole. Uh, the reason that is cited, I've been doing a lot of research on this, was the leadership of the King of England at that point, Edward III. Edward III maintained as much civil normalcy as he could, which included a um, uh, very very uh, respectful uh, burial process, and this was with thousands dying. A hundreds every single day, and yet they maintained the integrity of the burial process and and Edward the Third tried to maintain as much of the quality uh, of the civil society as he possibly could and at the end, although the deaths were horrible, no doubt, uh, but England came out whole at the end of that process. I think to a large extent that's what we're seeing uh president trump trying to do to ensure that at the end of this and this covid-19 is going to end and it'll be a uh, a memory very very soon um that we have a society that's functioned that businesses uh, can maintain can uh, maintain their integrity that the doors can stay open that americans will feel meaningful and purposeful in their lives and that they'll be able to plan for their own futures uh and so here here we have a circumstance perhaps the most catastrophic moment not in terms of the disease itself but of it's implication for the very basic structure of our republic bob uh... this is a critical moment trump is trying to do his best and i think we can see uh... the democrats and uh... led by nancy pelosi who are trying to turn this into a, a political windfall by building into the a, into the senate uh... A package all kinds of items that have absolutely nothing to do with the disease or, or anything that would be positive for the american people so uh... it's a it's a, a, a difficult situation a very dangerous situation the disease is not the issue it certainly is must be concert, considered and we have to react to it appropriately but the most important thing in my in my mind is will we come out of this at the end of this disease as a, a solid country respecting our constitutional law, and once again, functioning as a free people in a free market system. All
1: right, Andy. Well, look, there's more to talk about. We need to take a little bit of break. Can you stick around?
3: I will be here, Bob. All
1: right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. After this COVID virus thing is over, you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always good to be with
1: you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, one of the things that we we uh, were finding out is we're too dependent upon China for our pharmaceuticals, and uh, t- and the president basically is now saying we we need to get our industries, especially the critical industries, back to the United States. Any thoughts?
3: Well, I, I think it's a sort of event that's hanging over our head right now. Um, I, it certainly has been. Uh, Widely made known uh, about the issue in terms of the, the pharmaceuticals from shops? the American people do not realize how how significant that is. Ninety seven percent of our pharmaceuticals, ninety I'm sorry, ninety seven percent of our antibiotics yeah. uh, come from China. Right. Uh, we know that eighty percent of all pharmaceutical components come from China. Uh, not only does this allow China to, uh, if it, if worse things to worse, uh, to manipulate this this uh, this country uh... by threatening to withhold or actually withholding these uh... it's it's a these, the quality control on these products is uh... is uh, is suspect uh... even the potential of moving to india and india is also has quality control issues and uh... uh much of their raw material the, the component materials of their pharmaceuticals in india also come from china so then uh, what would the transition look like if we were to try to move the pharmaceutical industry production uh, process back to the united states right now we, we've had a, a long uh... propaganda attack on the pharmaceutical companies of of america and of the world in general uh... would we be able to support the necessary financial requirements as a rapid uh... production capability was established in america i have serious doubts uh... that this would be politically uh... feasible uh... for certainly people politicians on the left and many on the right so here we're looking at a very specific issue but it, it has ramifications that are far beyond that specificity Bob we're yes. looking at uh, the health components that keep thousands if not millions of Americans alive and functioning and those products uh, to a large extent are coming from China right now and uh, the transition is is unknown. By the way, this is the type of comments I would make to my students in international marketing and management. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unknown in terms of the implication of that supply chain at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this is an international economy, and we certainly, the... the uh unintended consequences of trying to save money on production can, can be pretty severe in terms of economic warfare especially if uh, the chinese are unhappy with where we're going with trade and so forth i mean uh... you, you brought up something i hadn't even thought about but not only not only not providing the, the uh... resources and and Im- ingredients but perhaps contaminating them as part of the the process so or making them less effective so uh... that's just really critical i think that uh, the points that you're bringing up
3: for anyone who thinks that our comments are too hyperbolic, I think we have to look at the way the Chinese government handed the COVID nineteen coming out of Wuhan. Uh, they first of all, they they totally uh, tried to suppress the information coming out. The only reason that uh, the information even came out was from whistleblowers. It wasn't the Chinese government mm-hmm. and the origin in <laughs> Wuhan, which is the the site of the only bioweapons laboratory in China makes the process extremely suspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to get into any uh, conspiracy theories yet. I I think we have to consider that that China perhaps has weaponized COVID-19. Again, I'm not making that as a specific declarative statement, but I think we have to look at this as it unfolded and see the way the chinese government obfuscated this disease as it spread out of wuhan uh, and i think we have to at least be conscious that we may be looking at uh, a variant of warfare right. that will be very hard to deal with that does not have the implication of, of of war where the the other the warring party will suffer severe damage this is not going to be in that category and again i i know these sound conspiratorial and i don't mean them to sound like that but i do think we have to consider what we're looking at Based on the Chinese government reaction to uh, to the COVID nineteen coming out of
1: Wuhan, no question. And the other side of this, though, uh, while the and uh, it really concerns me that we're seeing the uh, martial law, seeing uh, you know the the president having so much power right now, and making uh, and and governors and uh, city councils, and you go you can take it right down the food chain. Uh, and But what the president is doing is pushing power down. He's trying to make the best decisions to keep our country together under the Constitution, as opposed to uh, taking the opportunity to centralize power like many, many government leaders would do right now.
3: He's trying his best not to push too hard into that area. Uh, I think we're looking at a situation that is ripe with those dangers if the administration changes uh, changes in November. Uh, there was a, a almost a comical thing on MSNBC the other night that I saw where uh, one of the commentators was suggesting, why can't the United States be like Iceland in terms of how Iceland controlled its COVID-19 uh, epidemic? uh of course you have 324,000 people in iceland as compared to 324 million americans right. this this kind of commentary which presumes that uh, anything can be done in the reason if something bad is happening it's because somebody has failed to do it or is is complicit in the problem we we've developed this mindset as as americans that the only reason something fails is because something has willing someone someone has willingly allowed it to fail that's that's nonsense. Some diseases, Bob, as we see with COVID-19, uh, have a life of their own, and they are independent to a large extent of our ability to uh, to totally squash their, their dissemination,
1: Bob. Absolutely, and uh, voila, the, the saga. there's apparently a rodent-bearing uh, virus that has been developed. A, a, a case has been found in China right now, so hopefully we're not moving to Chapter 2 on this whole thing. Andy Joppa, again, professor at Mercy College and author of Off-Topic, but the great book. It's called... Uh, Josephus of Avaz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: And thank you, Bob.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture and author of so many different books. Uh, his latest is about the uh, the uh, infrastructure and uh, cyber warfare. We're going to be doing that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. His seventh, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future, scary title. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Professor. Are you there?
4: Bob, I can barely hear
1: you. I apologize for that. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I don't know what's causing that, Professor. (laughs) But I've had my IT guy come over uh, last week, and we thought we had the problem solved, so we'll get it fixed, though. But in the meantime, uh, your latest column in Newsmax.com, it's On Point is the name of the weekly column, Public-Private Initiatives Will Defeat Coronavirus. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I was just, um, I contrasted or just related to our experience um, in Houston a couple years ago when we had Tropical storm Harvey and how, how absolutely inspired I was at how the community and the state and everybody came together. Not only our state, but we had support from other states. Uh, some of them not so you know, not not really nearby. Of course, mm-hmm. Louisiana responded with their Cajun Navy, and they they rescued people in water rescues and did absolutely wonderful things. But the whole community came together, had a you know Democrat mayor and a Republican governor, and they they coordinated with each other. And the media was just terrific. They didn't uh, local media didn't sensationalize it. They Really did what they're supposed to be doing. They kept us informed, and and you know the hospital workers just would. Some of them were trapped in the hospitals, but they worked. You know, time. You know, just endlessly helping people. And the police. We had a police officer drowned in his in his in his patrol car, and furniture car uh, company opened their doors to people that were displaced. As did some churches and. You know, it was such an outpouring of, of compassion and help. No one cared what color the arm was and hand was that they pulled into a boat when they're rescuing people. And, and uh, it was so inspiring. And And I think we're starting to see that t- t- now with the coronavirus. I think, as we know in life, our own personal experiences, that uh, it's the hard times that you know, teach us who we can trust and, and brings out the Best in some people, and the worst in others. And,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and I'm so grateful we have presidential leadership and and uh, the kind of American spirit coming forward to uh, do what what I think we really know America's heart really is.
1: I think that's so well said. I'll, I'll just pile on by suggesting that uh, if we had a different president right now, we'd uh, p- perhaps have martial law, centralized power. We'd have uh, the attempt to uh, perhaps. Uh, Nationalize uh, certain industries uh, to uh, give orders on how what uh, companies should do. We're not seeing that right now. The president is reaching out to business leaders. He's saying we need your help, and and they're stepping up. In fact, he's pointed out people that he hasn't even asked are stepping up. As I understand it, that my pillow fellow, the guy that makes pillows up there in Minnesota, he's starting to make uh, masks now for uh, because he understands the need of the of the American people. So, uh, you know the. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's it the, the power that the president has, he's not using all the power he could. He's using influence and it's having a bigger and better effect.
4: Well, you know, it's it's good business too, because I'm not imputing any motives, but I'm saying, you know, business motives are not inconsistent with with the right motives and, and right. it's good branding, you know, it's 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 uh it's the kind of thing that uh, people remember and they you get you know a tremendous amount of, I think, respect from from the community because I think we want to believe that's what our communities are about. I think there are people that want to believe that capitalism is evil and this competition is bad because it pits people against each other and everybody should get a trophy and so on, but I don't think that's what it's so all about. I don't think that's why we have sports games and that's not why we do you know we we want merit to excel we want we want to we, we tend to grow up thinking you know we there's an aspect of our of our who we are yeah it demands that we we demonstrate that in our lives I think that and, um, there has to be there have to be measures and I think there's so many different measures um, with some it's compassion and in very much helping people and some people are solving the great scientific mysteries and so on, but but I think when we take away these challenges, if we lived in a you know land of clover and, and sunshine all the time, uh, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't develop the you know the, the moral muscles we need.
1: I agree with that so much. In fact, uh, the fact of the matter is that our entire free Enterprise systems based on trust, on the willingness to have an, a, a transaction with another human being. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm paying you for something that I'd, I I need, and uh, I'm willing to pay the price that you're asking. I mean, it, they're all voluntary actions, each and every one. Uh, the only <laughs> the only transaction that's not uh, voluntary is the basically the extraction of taxes and so forth by government.
4: Yeah. Um. I think now, just as we learn from other people, I think we learn from our own behaviors mm-hmm. what kind of people we are, and, and I'm fortunate I can, you know, I'm, I'm into my 80s now, but I can, I'm still working, I'm still teaching, I'm still writing, I'm doing what I do. I have, but I have a comfortable home, you know, I have a loving family, I have, um, I've been spending some time reading about, you know, the experience of people during the, during the during the Revolutionary War and so on, I'm looking at how how much we owe them, how how fortunate we are, mm. and and uh, you know to ask people to stay home or do what they they can do responsibly to keep the load off some of the you know the, the healthcare workers in the front line and so on. is such a small inconvenience right. uh, to do what we can in order for some some greater good, and I think. I think we come out of it feeling better about ourselves
1: as well. No question, Professor. Well, I genuinely appreciate this kind of commentary. Also, I also want to just recommend uh, your book again. Uh, the name of the book is Cyber Warfare Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Sounds like a critical re- uh, read right now because uh, the President basically is saying, hey, we can't have our pharmaceutical business uh, located in China. Well, we have a lot to be concerned about, including cyber warfare, which is another topic we'll talk about another time. Professor, genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, thank you, thank you very much, Bob.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a little uh, shout out to our advertisers again. Lula Bee's Grill uh, not open right now, and. uh, I've just decided that uh, Blue Provence, Lullabies Grill, other businesses that have closed, uh, I'm going to support them in any way I can and get through this whole thing. So uh, uh, I hope you will as well. We wait for them to open, and they have other businesses like Johnson's Air Conditioning that's uh, doing great and providing great service right now. You can find out more about them too. So I want to just end the show by basically thanking our advertisers and the people that support the show. Can't do it without them. There's some expense involved in this entire endeavor, and uh, I just genuinely appreciate uh, the support. Hope you'll uh, join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, doing great work in Tallahassee, helping get bills through that support higher education, good education, quality education in Florida. Byron Donalds is our state representative and uh, candidate for U.S. Congress. We'll visit with Byron. Seaton Motley is the founder and uh, president of Uh, Less government will visit with Seton, as well as Bill Barnett, still mayor. He'll be mayor until April the 1st. We'll look forward to get uh, Bill's point of view as well. He's particularly upbeat after losing the election on uh, March the 17th, so look forward to uh, Bill's commentary as well. I appreciate your comments on the show. If you have uh, uh, any comments, send me an email at bobharden at com. Also, uh, if you'd like to receive a daily uh, email about the show uh, five days a week, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great and safe day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.